Well, hello, friends. Welcome to um, Bible Study, my home edition. Um, we have survived, uh, you know, COVID and um, being, you know, kind of restricted there. And now we have, you know, a beautiful snowy day outside, but um, we're not able to gather together in person. So I'm going to go ahead and record our Bible study um, so that you might be able to listen to it and we keep on track with the rest of the semester. Um, so if you hear children or babies crying or dogs barking, please excuse it. You know, it's just what it is. Um, okay, so we are going to be studying today um, Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Um, and let me go ahead and read it real quick. That way it's um, at the forefront of our minds as we start studying and unpacking um, this passage, okay? Okay, so Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the, um, the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let me just open us in prayer real quick. Um, gracious Father, thank you so much for this time to come together to study your word. I pray that you would make yourself um, known to us and um, that we would be able to focus and enjoy this time together. Amen. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Chris and I had the privilege, like I'm sure a lot of y'all did, to get to go see Hamilton, the musical, at Bass Hall. Um, we consider ourselves um, ham fans, if you will. Uh, we have loved it since it came out, and I, you know, love kind of like trying to memorize all of the words. I'm not there yet, but um, so anyway, so we kind of nerded out. But uh, I will say that it's been so funny when studying um, Philippians and kind of hearing Paul as he's writing and everything, how much he reminds me of kind of the character of Alexander Hamilton in this musical. Um, this song, uh, Why Do You Write Like You're Running Out of Time, just totally rang true of Paul. Um, however, I will say Paul had a much more noble cause of um, spreading the gospel across the world. Um, so anyway, but with that in mind and that kind of like character and persistence and drive, let's remind ourselves of where we are in Philippians, what's happening with Paul so that we can really get a good idea of what he's talking about in this scripture. Um, so it's over 20 years since Christ was crucified and had died and been raised again. Um, and God had called and um, guided Timothy and Paul um, to go to Philippi. And this is not really kind of what they were hoping for at first. This was not their game plan. They wanted to go to Asia. And as we know, um, the Holy Spirit kind of blocked them several times on that. And they received this call to go to Philippi. Um, and so Paul's normal MO of like, you know, start going into a new city, we'll see, is that um, he goes to the synagogue. And then he proceeds to try and show um, the members of that synagogue 
how everything from the Old Testament has been pointing to the fact that Christ is the Messiah. Like, this is really the guy. And here's how you know. And, you know, looking at all of the scripture that's just pointing blatantly to Christ being the Messiah. And so, um, as we know, he goes, there is not a synagogue because there are not 10 Jewish men even um, in the city of Philippi uh, to be able, you know, to comprise a synagogue. So poor Paul goes to plan B, which is to go down to the riverside where um, some Jewish women are meeting. Um, And so he starts talking to the Jewish women, which, you know, that in and of itself, they're not exactly the highest on the social hierarchy, are they? Um, They're Jews, they're women. Um, But he meets Lydia. And then, um, as we all know, then he goes and, and, you know, comes across this demon-possessed slave girl. Um, And ends up casting out the demon um, and getting in trouble with her owners because he has rid her of this affliction and thus um, thereby um, robbed them of their, you know, money-making possession. Um, and it's like a really you know, beautiful kind of display of like the freedom that Christ is bringing as, you know, the church is spreading because this girl is in bondage upon bondage. She is not only a slave girl, that she is physically in bondage and mentally in bondage by this demon. And so Paul sets her free so that she can start spreading the gospel. Um, so that he does get beaten and imprisoned by that. And then fast forward a few years, um, and we find Paul here. And he's under um, likely house arrest um, and uh, is waiting on uh, his appeal and verdict from Caesar. And so... A couple of things to kind of know about the ancient Roman prison system to give us some more context clues about what's really happening with Paul and Philippi and um, the love gift that he gets and everything. Um, in ancient Rome, if you were in uh, under house arrest, you were really responsible for paying for that house arrest. So paying for your food. Um, he may have gotten a stipend as a Roman citizen, but paying for your lodging, the guards that are keeping you. And so poor Paul finds himself um, in an unwanted, unimagined circumstance. And I kind of wonder if like we can identify with that. Are there times in your life where you have um, found yourself where you didn't want to be or where you didn't plan to be? Um, and how was the gospel evident in that time? Because for Paul, I don't think that his main audience that he was really going to go for were the Imperial Guard. Um, And these were guys that were high up. Um, They probably were not like right on his list of like, yes, let's go for the guard first. And, you know, well, you know, I I think that Paul may have had a different game plan. I'm just guessing. But sure enough, these uh, guards are with him 24-7. They're witnessing him at a real low point in life, a really dire situation. Um, because Paul's waiting on to hear news about his life, like his very livelihood, potentially like an execution, you know? And so um, you can imagine the stress and the strain. And as we know from our own suffering, whenever you are put under that, you really see kind of like what you're made of, right? Like that's when you really know a person is when you see them under the pressure of, you know, a circumstance or a decision that needs to be made and that kind of thing. And so the guard, Paul's rejoicing because the guard's getting to see him in this spot. And what they're finding out is 
Paul's not a criminal. He's not um, a bad guy. Um, we know that as evidence from when the earthquake happened and he was in Philippi and he could have escaped and he said, no, we're still here. Um, so he's, you know, got good moral character and everything like that. They see that the reason he's enslaved is for one thing and that's for Christ. And for Paul, I think it makes it all worth it because as long as they are seeing that like he is doing this for Christ, um, the gospel and the good news is going to spread. And so um, I have to ask us, and we have to ask ourselves, I should say, where have you been um, that you didn't want to be? Who have you seen that you didn't think you were going to see? Um, where people got to see you at your rawest or um, where you just kind of felt like you were at your rawest, right? There's always someone around and where did they see, like what poured out? Did they see the gospel? Did they see hope? Um, you know, it might've been um, the doctor helping with like fertility stuff because you just can't seem to get pregnant or stay pregnant. Um, was it your coworker? who sees you get passed over time and time again for um, that promotion or that pay raise. And they know that it's not right. They know it's unjust that you should have been the one to get it. But they see Christ coming through and your hope in Christ. Or the doctor with like the diagnosis that you totally feared that you did not want to hear or you didn't want to hear for your loved one. And that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's what we see with Paul. And so the other person, the other people that are being affected by watching Paul's suffering in this are fellow Christians. Um, they're emboldened and encouraged by Paul's imprisonment, which really seems kind of like a reverse of what it should be. Um, we have started watching the Olympics and like kind of like the lead up to it and everything. Um, there's a lot of talk of, about China and kind of the human rights stuff and all of that. And I have to say, like, if I were a believer in China or somewhere like that, where I heard my brothers and sisters in Christ were um, being imprisoned, um, would I be emboldened when I heard that to continue to spread the gospel? Like, if I'm honest with myself, if we're honest with each other, um, I, don't, I don't know. So what I'm saying there is we're seeing the Holy Spirit at work. We're not seeing the normal human emotion of like, yes imprisonment let's like let's keep going we're seeing god um himself making these people confident and emboldening them to um, share this wonderful life-changing world-changing news um and so paul's rejoicing in this and i think that like we can rejoice in this too um and i wonder how god uses our situations to be able to further that um and i think one thing we really need to sit and think about and really wrestle with is are we using our hard times to encourage other believers? Because I have to tell you, I think that that is one of the biggest um, things you can do with your suffering. You're going to suffer. The Bible is very clear about that. This is an imperfect world. It's a fallen world. We're going to have hard times. But one of the things, and at least in my personal suffering, when I've had that, that made it worth it, was to be able to have the opportunity to come alongside someone and walk with them after I've walked it. And I think that that glorifies God. And I think that it's just an encouragement to others when you can do that. So are, are you doing that? Um, are you 
taking that time, you know, looking around when you don't expect to be where you are and thinking, how can I use this for Christ's glory? And the next part of the text that uh, Paul wants to talk about is the gospel being proclaimed. And it's in a good and a bad way. Um, And Paul addresses both. Like, it's important that we not look at this and go, oh gosh, like he just kind of, you know, thinks everything's roses. No, he calls it out. Um, So just, you know, as a reminder, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And so what he's talking about there, based on the commentaries that I've read, um, these are probably fellow believers in the church that um, are jealous of Paul. They are kind of using his imprisonment time as a time for like self-promotion. And so they are actively preaching, but they are wanting it for like their positioning themselves. They're kind of taking advantage of the fact that he's down and out and using it to boost themselves up. Um. And so I think it's important for us to see that and to kind of think, okay, like what is the motive when we preach the gospel, what is our motive? Um, And also just like what lies behind our Christian service? Because if we are honest with each each other, if we're honest with ourselves, um, I've talked before about like the little Herod and all of us when we were talking about, um, you know, some of that, you know, there's always that, there's that simple part. Um, And I know that, like, if we're really honest with ourselves, did we always serve to just serve joyfully? Or was it, you know, for someone to see? Or, um, you know, is it all, is it about self-promotion sometimes? And so I think that it's important that we watch that. But it's also important for us to realize that um, no matter our motives, like, when the gospel of the Lord is preached, like, it does not diminish. And I love um, this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. I'm going to read it. Um, let's see. It says, The way in which we present the gospel can be um, then be dominated by our criticism of others rather than by the pre- a presentation of Christ. The result is an unattractive harshness which does not commend um, Christ. And so I, I think it's just kind of a warning of like, you know, we are not going to put a damper on the gospel, but we should be careful about like our motive and having unity. Paul's been warning about, and he takes you know, most of Philippians to talk about unity in Christ. And so um, are we seeking unity? Is are our actions and our motives, like is that going towards, you know, um, proclaiming the gospel and, and all that? And I it reminded me when Paul's talking about this of um, in Genesis, um, the verse that says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And that's Genesis 50, 20. And I'm talking about, you know, Joseph and, and his brothers and how they, you know, kind of were out, um, like, were out for blood and, you know, tried to kill him and sold him into slavery. And the whole time God is using it to set them up for protection and like for salvation essentially from um, that famine um and so i think that like while paul you know it's i'm sure is frustrated by it he, what he sees is is the end goal he's not seeing what they're seeing right here which is like the self-promotion and like kind of elbowing him out of the way he's seeing that the gospel is being shared and like the advancement um of the gospel and then there's also the people there preaching it in love. 
And for that, we look back to kind of what he's talked about a little bit pre, um, earlier about the partnership. And it's actually the Greek word koinonia. I'm sure that if you've been in the church before, you may have heard this. Um, but it, there's no one English word that's going to like accurately, you know, um, translate. But it basically means like a sharing or a fellowship of all things. The good, the bad, like everything is shared. Um, and that is what Paul has with the church in Philippi. And so in the good and in the bad, they are sharing and everything. And I think that it's so cool to see Paul's heart for the um, Philippian, the uh, church in Philippi. Um, because it's really similar to what we see with Christ. So Paul, in this passage, is not... He's saying a lot of eyes, but it's not. He's not focusing inwards. This is not about how he's feeling about his prison, um, uh, his imprisonment, and everything like that. He is trying to reassure them. He's worried about um, how they're doing with it, like you know, and making sure that they're encouraged and knowing that, like, yes, these bad things are happening, but the gospel is advancing, and that is exciting. That is worth rejoicing. Um, and where else do we see that? But in Christ in um, the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Gethsemane and like um, leading up to his crucifixion. Because you look at his heart and you see that um, he's so concerned about um, his disciples. And, you know, like he's praying for them and he's encouraging them. And he's still right before he, you know, is crucified, is pouring out to them. Um, and it really shows, and like Paul, that, that shows through Paul, like Christ's heart. And he says that, like, um, you know, like the heart of Christ, like I have the heart of Christ for you. Like he says that and you see it in this part of the text. And so I just think that's so neat. Um, and I think that like, you know, we should ask, like, are we, you know, are we doing the same thing? Are we, are we looking out for um, fellow believers like that? Are our hearts inwards or are they outwards? Are we seeking unity and in, and, and you know, love in this? Um, and so lastly, I think kind of most importantly, we need to look at the fact that this passage is bookended. And it's bookended with joy and rejoicing. And uh, we start with, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really started to advance the gospel. Like, so he's saying, even though... I'm waiting for like this big verdict. Like I'm waiting. I could be, you know, this could be the end kind of deal. Um, it's okay because the gospel is advancing. And then he finishes it with Christ is proclaimed and in that I will rejoice. And then he kind of, um, it's like an exaltation to himself. He's like talking to himself. Yes. And I will rejoice. Um, and so how does that, like, how does that even happen? Because I think that, I mean, happiness in the middle of suffering is near impossible. Like if you're really suffering, if you're really going through, um, you know, being tested and that kind of thing. Um, but joy is not like joy is a gift from the Lord. And why is it that we're able as believers and why is Paul able to have joy? It's because of the hope that is in Christ that Paul knows and that we know that no matter what's happening right now, and there could be some really deep and dark stuff that we're walking through, that in the end, we are going to see Christ face to face. In the end, this earth that is so sad and um, completely messed up is going to give way to the new heavens and the new earth. 
and all of the sad, all of the bad that's all going to go away. And so Paul's hope is in that. And I'm never, um, I just, I think it's such an impactful, um, illustration of someone who's just so focused on the hope that is in Christ. They're like, this, this is a real bad spot to be in. Like he is in a really dire spot and he knows it. But for, um, he counts it gain because of Christ, because it's advancing the gospel. Um, and so I just think that like, you know, as we go through in the middle of our suffering, where are our eyes? Are they on Christ? Are they looking forward to that kingdom to come? Um, or are they fixed downward in just like, you know, in where we are? And so I think that we need to kind of, you know, watch and pray on that. Um, and I'm, we'll close out with this. It's actually a quote from Tim Keller um, in the book, Walking um, with God Through Pain and Suffering. And um, Keller says this, While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, for seeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. And so sisters, like, I commend you to taste the joy, to look for the joy in the midst of sorrows. We are going to walk through sorrows. We have. Um, we probably are in them right now. Um, but we have hope because Christ died and Christ rose and Christ will come again and all will be made new.